Stop! Sure you want the rest of it? Dirty Harry Welcome once again to Dirty Harry Minute, the world's only podcast to analyse, construct or deconstruct, uh, critique and discuss the 1971 film Dirty Harry, starring Clint Eastwood, directed by Don Siegel. As usual, we are joined by me, my name is Trent, and John, who's our main host. I'm the main host, John, yes. And we have two guests with us. We have Trav. Hey. And from Mad Max Minute, we have Rick. Now, how do we start? What are we, minute number 93? Oh, yeah. And what do you think of this minute, John? Well, this minute begins with the rear shot of a school bus and ends with Scorpio beginning to climb some chair uh, stairs. <laughs> now, I really liked how the bus knocked the VW Beetle off the road uh, in a believable way, Trav. Like, it's not a Fast and the Furious type bump. It's just quite believable. Um yeah, what did you think of this minute, Trav? Yeah, I like how people just... I like there's a lot of um, falling into big mounds of dirt. I'm a big fan of that. And uh, I'm a big fan of, like, running upstairs. So, you know, it ticks all the boxes for me this minute. What do you think of this minute, Rick? Oh, I was so, I guess, flabbergasted by how easily defeated Scorpio was by the common bus door. And how quickly he gave up on it to go take out the other one. I think in the battle of man versus door, you got to give it to the doors on this one. (laughs) I like how the kids are smiling in the first shot. Um, Apparently, I I can't really confirm this, but they used models or little people for some of the more action-packed scenes. Obviously, there's the union regulations about what children can be involved with. So, were you able to detect, uh, Trent, the the change from the, the real kids to the um, the dummies or the little people? Not at all. What about yourself? I can't really pick it out. Yeah, I definitely can't pick it out. I, to be honest, I've never actively looked. I will do so from now on. But Have you um, got a Blu-ray in front of you, Rick? Are you sort of looking at a high-definition quality? Uh, I'm looking at the quality that I have. I don't know if it's Blu-ray, but... Every time you're looking at the bus from a distance, they've done a really good job of shadowing the figures inside. Yeah. So they could be cardboard cutouts for all I know. Yep, exactly. Do you have, uh, Trav, a favorite, um, a favorite, um, I don't know what I'm saying, uh, a kidnapping scene? <laughs> kidnapping in a movie? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you call it kidnapping, but I do like that scene in Face Off where um, Nicolas Cage just walks right into a choir and um, stands behind some girl and grabs her and then does some weird demon (laughs) scream into the ground. I don't know if he was kidnapping her or I don't know what I don't know what you call that. You got caged, maybe like, I don't know. I don't know uh, what happened after that moment. They don't tell you, but. You know, I'm pretty sure that girl's dead, that's all I can say. No one seemed to want to save her or question why that Nicolas Cage is uh, part of the choir all of a sudden. Uh, my favourite scene is exactly like this. It's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You've got a madman, apparently, Jack Nicholson. You know, he's in there to be tested and he kidnaps a bunch of kids slash uh, mental patients and he takes them to a fishing location um, yeah, exactly the same. So I think that edges up this. That I prefer that than uh, than this scene. And you, Trent, do you have a favourite? I'm trying to think of one. Um, speaking of Nicolas Cage, my favourite kidnapping is possibly of his career with the Wicker Man. That was the first thing that I could think of, and how it was kidnapped <laughs> basically to the sewerage farm. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't really think of any right now. I'm trying. I'm going through kidnap. And all I'm seeing is really distressed people. And I'm thinking, uh, 
Probably shouldn't say that's a favourite. Probably shouldn't say that's a favourite. So, yeah. I feel like it's an entrapment question. It is an entrapment question. <laughs> if, if you know too many kidnapping movies, like, suddenly, like, the police are going to kick down our door. I'm staring at the top of the roof of the neighbour's house right now, waiting for, a, like, a <laughs> what team person come and target in on me and if I uh, comply. They're ducked down there, I think. That's why I always deflect of a Nicolas Cage reference, because <laughs> just, it just confuses and, en- and enchants anybody. Well, why don't we uh, lower the temperature here a bit, guys? Take the pressure off with an IMDb quote. When Harry is on top of the bus, he dangles down in front of Scorpio as he drives. Both men have their pistols in their hands. It is a mirror image with the men on opposite sides of the window. They have become one. They have become each other's doppelganger. Do you agree with that reading, uh, Travis? Well, it's not wrong, but it's also not right. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I get, you know, his opinions are like... Uh, are they one uh, and the same? They're both whack jobs? Pretty much. I mean, l- like I said, I think he's... Clint Eastwood is where Harry's on, like, the verge of... If he wasn't a cop, I'm pretty sure he'll be a... Like just a, male model? a madman, like just gone nuts. Yeah, a mad, a madman male model, which is the name of this movie screenplay I'm writing. Now, now, Rick, the original script ended at an airport, and apparently it had you know Scorpio about to get or put the children on the bus on the on the plane, and some anonymous sniper manages to take Scorpio out, kills him. Uh, Harry, I don't think, was even there or was just one, you know, looking through or shouting out in a megaphone to to our criminal. Um, but apparently it was changed because Bullet had had the finale at an airport and they were trying to stay away, stay away from that. Do, do you like the end of... Do you like this last end, end of the movie? Does it feel rushed to you, Rick? I wouldn't say that it feels rushed. I think it feels right because the... These two men have been playing cat and mouse with us throughout the entire movie. And really, to bring it down to a mano a mano fight out in the middle of nowhere, away from everybody else, it really ham- it really brings to bear the conflict between them. And I wouldn't necessarily say that they're mirror image of each other. I think they're more ideological opposites, which I know is me repeating myself from last time, but... When you see them looking at each other with the guns drawn, like they're opposite each other. One's upside down, one's right side up. And you need to take these, you know, one's a agent of chaos, one's an agent of order. And you got to remove them. It's kind of like a Godzilla fight. You got to bring it outside of the city. Yeah, <laughs> to the Old West. Because that's where Clint Eastwood is most powerful. <laughs> is that when he goes Mecca Eastwood? <laughs> well, I mean, the justice of the city, the civic justice in that beautiful uh, city hall is nothing. You have to go out to the Old West to get your real, you know, frontier justice. He's a bad guy. He's got to be killed and he's got to be stopped now. Do you think Scorpio would have a more winning edge if he just got into that big yellow, what is it, a dump truck? Because he walks past it, but you would think that if he just got into that and then just ran Eastwood down, that would have been game over. Yeah. That little truck I've never noticed before, it looks like something that came out of Thunderbird 2 when, you know, they're going to rescue someone down a mine <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, in, the Holly- in the Bollywood remake, Kun Kun, um, <laughs> the end it takes place in a factory and you would have what you've just wanted, like... Scorpio is in a crane with a wrecking ball, like trying to hammer it into the, the the cop's head and stuff. It's a lot more comical, and f- I think you'll find the ending you want in that movie, Trav. I'm gonna have to. What is it called? Kun kun. Kun kun. It means blood, blood. Yeah. Blood, blood. <laughs> it's like Duran Duran. Like, is it really necessary to repeat yourself? Just call it blood. Like, I don't know. And guys, um, I like how this time Harry goes through the cyclone fence, right? Or he's on the bus when it goes through there, and uh, he. He's okay. This is a fence. He can he can go over a fence with it and break the Miranda rights because he's in hot pursuit of the criminal. So, um, I think someone's on that water tower. Is there someone, Rick, on that water tower? Let's see. Oh, I've gone too far back. Water tower. When it when the um 
when he gets out of the bus and then uh, it looks like there's someone climbing down on the ladder. So that means they're not alone. Or maybe someone was working there that day. What day is this supposed to be? There's actually two people on that ladder. Oh, really? There might actually be three. As I'm, cl- I'm, I'm able to go individual frame by frame. And I'm counting two, definitely three, maybe. One of them might be the AV guy. I mean, while this is all happening, surely the mayor and Bressler are getting in train like they're Harry's substitute. <laughs> and we thought it might be the AV guy. It'd be good if they would like robocopped Harry. Like they just they thought he was gonna die. So they just already got like a robot Clint Eastwood ready to go. And then Robocop. Robocop Clint Eastwood mashup would be amazing. Oh, absolutely. Like he has to f- it'd be like the Terminator. It'd be like he has to hunt down. A Robocop version of himself. <laughs> as an old man. Here we go. These are the people now. Oh, there's like someone's house in the background. Like who lives so close to a, a like... Uh, to quote the Mad Magazine parody of this, they have Harry go, I wanted this scene to end quickly as possible because I'm opposed to bussing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought up that building just to the left of the quarry because... I did a little bit of digging oh, on thanks. the uh, the Dirty Harry filming locations WordPress site. Yes. And according to that one, that's the only building still standing in this area. Oh, it's been wow. completely paved over and changed since 1971. I think it's just condominiums. Is that right, Rick? It's just been redeveloped as a, a housing state. Yeah, the... Qu- The quarry is now condos. That little shack that we see in the movie itself is now a daycare center. (laughs) That's amazing. The ghosts of the children on the bus. It's a preschool. (laughs) (laughs) I hope those kids don't get delivered in a yellow bus because that would be a bit traumatic. (laughs) With a a guy in a brown suit who rides on top of no explanation. (laughs) See, Rick, um, going back to last episode, you were talking about um, foreigners reviewing this quintessentially American film and in the course of watching this movie doing a bit of investigation we didn't really know well we sort of knew a bit but yellow buses were originally a, a solution to segregation and the whole busing issue apparently is um, has raised its head in recent days um, about the former voting records of Joe Biden and so forth that whether in their younger days as representatives they voted against busing um, as a solution to in segregation so this movie has a lot of topical things not just rights but um a lot of things that are thrown up do you do you often hear in the media debates about busing or isn't that debate well and truly ended that it's pretty much a done conversation at this point a lot of the times if you're hearing conversations about busing it's directly related to funding for local school districts because a lot of different counties and states will fund their schools in different ways depending on where you are and so there's always talk if there is talk about buses you know what company is the school going to use or how much of the bus driver is going to be paid it's not usually you know busing people from one neighborhood into another neighborhood that's pretty much run its course by that by now good so now it's just a a socialist issue. Who should pay? Should taxpayers be paying? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. In the novelization, Harry actually checks in. There's a full paragraph devoted to him checking in to make sure the kids are okay. But in here, he doesn't even give them so much as a glance. Does this make you hate Harry more, Trav? Oh, how can you hate him? That brown suit. It's, it's so charismatic. I can think <laughs> the kids understand. Like, they're safe. He knows they're all right. Like, he doesn't hear any screaming. Just so he just keeps going. He has to get his man. Like yeah, if he stops for a second, you'll lose him again. So one of those kids is saying, "Do it for me, McGarnacle." <laughs> <laughs> Was there a Charlie Brown on that bus, and now he can finally get to the spelling bee on time? Good grief! Probably <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Here's another review about these last few minutes, Rick. And pardon my American accent, but we love doing it. The finale is not at night It's during the day It feels tacked on And the pacing is rushed Seagull's only got about 10 minutes to wrap things up The big final action sequence 
It's not big, but it should be. I think you said a few moments ago the ending is okay in your book. It would be changed if it was done again today, but do you have any sympathy with that reviewer's remarks? Is it rushed? I don't believe so. What about you, Trev? No, I don't, no, not at all. Like, compared to action movies today that are so quick cut, you don't know what the hell's going on. Like, this, I don't know, this seems slow. I mean, not like, you know, like an independent James Franco film. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, th- I think it, it builds the tension. It's just right. Like, I think all movies should take a leaf out of this. Like, it clearly shows what's happening. It's got the tension. So... I like that we finally get to see the 44 Magnum, which feels like we haven't seen from ages. The real star of the film. <laughs> was he Bill? Was it top build, the, the gun? It should have been. <laughs> it's apparently been voted the most iconic cinematic weapon after lightsabers in the Empire list recently, Rick. I thought it was just voted the most powerful handgun in the... <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> Had to go there. Even in Slumdog Millionaire, you know where he's... He's answering a question. Even this poor guy from the streets of Mumbai knows, um, gets the answer right, that it's Harry's Clint Eastwood's weapon, the forty-four Magnum. I think we can all thank The Simpsons for that. Like, all my pop culture comes from The Simpsons. Because I was like, I don't get that reference. And then before Google, that's how I went and found out things and then had to go to Blockbuster and watch a heavily edited version of that film. <laughs> and then The Simpsons would piece together the bits that were probably censored. Why doesn't Scorpio shoot... Did I say Scorpion or Scorpio? Scorpio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, said it right. why doesn't Scorpio just shoot Harry as Harry comes, you know, where he has a chance? Why does he run? I mean, Harry's in a, a pile of green, wouldn't he? Why doesn't he just shoot him? Is he just really, really scared? Yeah, I think it's just him being a coward. Yeah. Mm. Like, he, he's a sniper. He's not a... He's not a bank robber. We said he... Yeah. But, I mean, later on... Uh, sorry, Invading Future Minutes listeners, I'm sorry. But he's willing to risk that he can get the gun... He can shoot out Harry later on. He takes that gamble. He's not a coward. I suppose that's the only thing you can do when you're cornered. I think I'd be pretty scared if a man in, man in a brown suit was chasing after me. Like, I think I would just run. Like, even if they, if I knew that person um, and they started, if I just saw that, I would, I would probably run in the opposite direction. You have a problem with the colour brown, don't you, Trav? Well- He's going to smell like poo. Not necessarily, but it's very intimidating with the shades, <laughs> the shades, the suit, jumping off bridges. Like, what do you else? You wouldn't just sit there and like- it wouldn't be like that Mark Chapman after he shot Lennon and just sat there in the gutter, a red catcher in the rye. Like, I don't think I don't think he would do that. Like, I think he would run. Well, getting back to Dirty Harry, guys. Oh, yeah. We were talking a bit before about intuition and um, guardianship. And obviously, we're living in a time now where there's a lot of strongmen leaders around the world who, you know, get into office, they play the populist card, you know, that they alone, they're outsiders, you know, they're not part, they're not in the beltway. You shouldn't trust traditional elites like experts, judges in the media, you know, because they're competent, they're incompetent and voters should instead trust an outsider who has intuition that you should follow and that's somehow more appropriate and a better way you, you attain justice. What do you think Harry would say to these people, Trump and, you know, Erdogan and all these strongman leaders, Trev, like, does Harry want, in his heart of hearts, does Harry really want a police state? Or does he just want a bit, you know, 10% more, just just did put the dimmer switch on um, on suspects' rights, turn it down a bit, just give police 10, 10% more power and we'll be fine. I think he, he would just dismantle the police force and then just take on all crime all across America, just him. I reckon he could do it. He would just be... Might take just, a few lifetimes, but... Yeah. <laughs> he, would, he would do it. He would just be like, take, take a holiday, I got this. <laughs> and do it for free. As long as they give him a brown suit and sunglasses. One hot dog a day. Yeah. Some DMs. Do you think this movie's fascist, Rick? Uh, it's hard to say. Is it irresponsible? Is it, is it, you know, just going, hmm, hmm, like Trump, just throwing things out there. See what happens when you give uh, suspects too many rights? Hmm, and Mary Deacon, this all could happen. I think it, 
paints an interesting picture of a man butting up against the system, but I think it's a better highlight of how some people are able to abuse the system. Because obviously a lot of the systems that are in place that get in Harry's way, they're there for good reason. They're good to protect. They're there to protect ordinary people. But Scorpio is not an ordinary person. He's someone who exists outside of the paradigm that lawmakers envision when they're writing up stuff like this. And I think it goes back to the fact that they did name this movie Dirty Harry because he gets the dirty jobs. And this is an incredibly dirty situation. And I wouldn't necessarily say that the movie itself says, oh, let's have a police state. I think it just says, hey, there are, you know, aspects of society that don't fit into your parameters and the traditional methods that you use to deal with ordinary people aren't going to apply in this situation. Yeah. I mean, this movie was released at a time, apparently in the 60s, the last real big boom of of crime at the same time you've got rising crime and civil disobedience um that's just normal society status forget this you know this new category of uh serial killers that have come in at the same time of this rising crime compared to the post-war era you've got all these novel new legal rights that are being expounded by the supreme court and this movie definitely i would think probably has a go? Is that too strong a word, Trev? Due process and Miranda rights? It seems pretty anti-bureaucratic. Mm. Red tape. I was Red just, tape. Brown tape after his suit. I was thinking that, like, I, especially in America, there seems to be, uh, from, from our end, it just sounds like constant streams of school shootings uh, that are happening. And I wonder if that someone would... <laughs> I don't know if there will be a, a certain period of time where there will be, like, a Dirty Harry character that takes out a kid in a school like do you reckon they would ever cross that line because that's pretty controversial because we look at scorpio uh, is it scorpio or scorpion yeah Yeah. like he's a madman but because he's an adult we're kind of like yeah well he deserves to be shot at the end but we would put that same principle to a kid that's gone like some incel kid that's you know having a tough time at school and thinks that's the only way to deal with it it's pretty dark i know but it's a question (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough situation because with how Harry handles this situation, killing... Well, spoiler alert, if you're watching this one minute at a time and you haven't seen the whole movie, (laughs) with the way that Harry kills Scorpio, Scorpio doesn't have any uh, punishment for his actions. He's dead. You can't punish someone who's dead. (laughs) I mean... I guess if you if you view death as a punishment in and of itself, yeah, I guess, you know, that's the ultimate punishment. But really, at the end of this movie, Scorpio gets away with it. And that's the and that's the problem with just taking criminals and shooting them dead in the streets is that there's no justice. There's no recompense. There's no restitution to the people that were hurt. Well, that's right. Once someone's dead, you still can't. You can't try them. Like, I mean, will the police ever do a follow-up to Anne-Mary Deacon and say, well, look, we couldn't pin him, but we're categorically sure because the sniper rifle and everything that we're categorically sure that this man who was found dead outside a quarry was the man who killed and raped your daughter. In real life, I don't know if the victims would ever receive any, any even notification of restitution, would they? Right. Is it because Harry thinks that he's so chaotic like it's just so full of malice that he just think well i just have to put this guy down because putting him because he's because harry is so anti he doesn't believe in bureaucracy and the slow moving wheels of justice that he's like you just need to shoot these people like medieval style that's his policy he's like he's like a witch smeller that used to just burn witches with like (laughs) without even really trying them do you think he's taking that sort of uh, do you think that Harry? Do you think that Harry has lost his faith in the justice system at this point? He hasn't quite thrown his badge away, but we talked. Maybe in effect, he has already quit when he said, "Get yourself a new delivery boy." He's certainly going to get you know one red card for that. He meant that literally because he actually had a, it was moonlighting as a delivery boy, <laughs> and he's like, "I can't do both jobs." <laughs> it was actually what are they? What's in America? The 
the famous one that's always in movies uh the removalist fedex fedex yeah <laughs> hey fedex was uh created in 1971 the year this movie came out really yeah there you go in Australia, we have Star Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Express. <laughs> Just how lame we are. TNT. The Yeah. Well, going back to what you said, Rick, we've talked about you know this new breed of serial killer. I mean, they've probably always existed since antiquity, but this was a part of time when uh, serial killers, spree killers, as they were once called, was quite a novel idea. And Harry, of course, is familiar with the old-fashioned criminality like um you know the bank robbers he has a sort of respect for them that's why the spiel he gives off to them is one of respect you know you're the bad guy so to speak a burglary is in a way honorable it's like i'm taking money by force i'm doing it here there is a new, yeah there's a clear motive yeah, a new type of criminal that's come around but i'm sure harry has had trying cases in the is this a career defining episode in his life forget the sequels imagine we haven't seen them do you think is Harry bewildered? Is this the first time he's he's been frustrated by bureaucracy? I doubt it. Well, watching this movie in an isolated bubble, not thinking about the other yep. movies, I think it is definitely a career-defining case for him because Scorpio is killing for sport. Like, he's demanding money, but he doesn't necessarily, I would say, need the money. He's just killing for the sake of killing, and it doesn't make sense. When you're robbing a bank, you're robbing a bank for the money. When you're kidnapping and holding people for ransom, that's very clear. You let the person go. With Scorpio, he didn't even let the person go. They were dead to begin with. I don't think that girl was ever alive. Yeah, I agree. So this is just a breed of psychopath that you can't treat the same way as other criminals. Some some criminals do say that it's a rush. Like, I, I'm pretty sure, like, Bonnie and Clyde, like, they didn't need the money at some point. Or maybe they did, but they said it was... They just kept doing it because of the rush and the thrill and the adrenaline of being Travolta. outlaws. Travolta and Broken Arrow. Yeah. Damn, what a rush! <laughs> Feel the need for speed. <laughs> well, Rick, Rick, um, a previous guest, Pete Mummett from um, Indiana Jones Minute... He turned our eyes onto this movie called The Sniper. Oh, that's uh, a great film. From, no, from 1952. Have you seen it? Uh, is that the one that's got Boris Karloff in it? No. It's What's like that one? Oh, it's called movie. Targets. Targets, yeah. Right. No, but The Sniper, and it's um, yeah. We, we watched. I watched that the other day, and um, it has uh, Eldolf Minjo or that actor. Anyway, he's talking his spiel about this new type of criminality, and I've just got a quote here. He goes. This sniper thing is driving me crazy. There are some things I understand and some I don't. If a guy blows his top and sticks a knife in someone, on the spur of the moment that is, I understand it. So does the law, second degree. And if a guy decides to knock off his wife and spend six months figuring out how to do it, I understand that too. That's first degree. But this thing, this thing I don't get. And they're really playing up um, this new type of criminal. Um, the serial killer and they don't know how to deal with it and th- it's a bit sloppy I mean it's a good encaptured it's a B-grade movie but they, they're, the sort of ethos of the movie is we really need to treat people at the beginning you know society has to find a way to detect these people that have psychopathic urges and rather than just put them in jail we should pretty much put them under um, in, you know psychiatric treatment from the minute they, they slap a woman or something you know what Manhunter's about? <laughs> Manhunter. Mindhunter. Is it Mindhunter? Oh, Mindhunter. Oh, I still haven't yeah. seen that yet. I haven't yet. seen it either. Uh, another similar film is Roller Coaster. Have you seen that? Oh, the 70s one. 1977 or about the sniper plucking off people on yeah. roller coasters. Uh, to me, that seems like it's riding on the, the coattails of this. Cause it's, <laughs> is it Seagull? Uh, George Seagull. George Seagull. And in his first ever small role, Steve Gutenberg. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah. This is like oh. a debut film. I think he's an extra. I don't think he's actually a featured player. <laughs> it says here Helen Hunt's in it as well. Yeah, she's a kid. Because she was in Little House in the Prairie and stuff like that. It's a good read, Rick. Uh, Trent gave me for my birthday some years back the Gutenberg Bible. It's a quite a good read, Steve Gutenberg's autobiography. Anyway, anyway, going <laughs> going back to this movie, The Sniper, my Harry, like, 
I'm glad I watched it, Pete. Thank you very much. But, like, there's so many Dirty Harry connections. The one, like, the movie is written by a husband and wife team, just like this one. Two, the movie starts with a rifle being assembled, um, or, like, a, rifle, a sniper rifle being pulled out and aimed at someone. Um, three, it features a lot of North Beach locations, um, where we obviously saw Hot Mary. Four, it has picket fences on San Francisco roofs and cops posted on roofs looking for the sniper killer. And five, the killer writes notes to the police. And six, most importantly, the sniper is really, like, unstable and he's sort of like a kid. He has up and down emotions. Um, And last of all, there's a big office scene with the mayor. And... um, this time, there's actually a psychologist in there and a newspaper man. They're all talking about how, you know, they should respond and report the crime about this serial killer, uh, whether they should report it in the newspaper and everything. So, it was quite a quite an early companion. It's like a genre piece, but a good companion piece to this movie, all in San Francisco. So, listeners, please check that out. Is that your hot tip? Hot tip. The Sniper, 1952. Now, I also can't verify this but when we watched this movie in film and television studies in year 10 we had some printout from some 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 classic book history book and I can't find where it was but I've got a photocopy of it at home and it says that the Filipino police at their academy police academy was shown this movie as a training form a training film can anyone find out any of you guys if that's true. Really? <laughs> Can you imagine that, Rick? Do you think any... That's uh, a bold move. Yeah. So, they, they actually want more Dirty Harrys? Like, wouldn't that go against the whole the whole ideology of the police and working together and yeah. following the law? I mean, especially when you're training them, you want them to respect the bureaucracy at least a little bit. Seems a bit counterproductive. <laughs> I guess it was just how to be ruthless to a killer. Once again, I can't confirm if this is true or not. Also, they say that Siegel and Eastwood were asked to um, address um, police associations. It kind of asks the question, how many young people saw this and then got into the police force because they were inspired to be Harry? And they were like, I can do that. Jump on a bus, wear a brown suit. (laughs) There is always the allure of being a man in uniform. I'm not going to lie. It, there is a bit of a, a a feeling of power that comes with it. <laughs> Dirty Harry, you are very good at turning me on. <laughs> have you seen many other Eastwood movies, Rick? Um, I have seen a few. Um, good, Bad, and the Ugly is one that I definitely saw. Um, trying to think. What other standout instances have I seen? I saw Million Dollar Baby. That was a pretty good one. Yeah. A, a movie a movie that in many ways challenged um, people's opinions of Clint Eastwood because it's, it's essentially a pro-euthanasia film, isn't it? Uh, I think it... I think it gives... It gives enough time to think about it. Like, I wouldn't say it's like you walk out of it thinking, oh, yeah, euthanasia is great. I think it gives enough time to dwell on the subject that it's done tastefully. I'll say that much. But it it maybe shows that Clint's more obviously a conservative, but he's more on the libertarian strand of that conservatism and about, you know, what you do in your own... There's choices you make in your own life really don't have any... They shouldn't have a spiritual component the law dictates. I'm also, Hang 'em High is one that is sort of anti-death. Have you seen that one, that old 60s one? I haven't seen that one. It comes out he's anti-death penalty, really, because he's um, strung up by a, a posse of cow herders at the start of the movie and wants to take revenge on them because he was mistaken identity. And in the end, he becomes a sheriff. And, um, yeah, he. the main point of the movie is, you know, you can't, Capital punishment is bad because you can never know definitively if someone committed a crime, a murder, or, you know. So, that there are some movies that go against his conservative strain, but for a lot of people, this movie, this ser- series is why Clint's a reactionary, you know, right-wing nut, which I don't think is fair. I mean, he, he can be nutty at times. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of that time he spoke to an empty chair 
but you know, actors are not like the rest of us, no matter what the tabloids say. Yes, they're much better. <laughs> they're meta humans. Wait, did you just say he spoke to a chair? Yeah. Yeah. He uh What? Stood out on a stage behind a lectern and he spoke to an empty chair as if it was the then sitting president. And he there was this whole bit that he was doing. Uh it was it was a while ago. Is it on YouTube as oh, well? Yeah. yeah, it was viral oh, yeah. for a couple of weeks. Oh man, I don't that's full on. So did he knew he was being filmed? Yeah. Yeah, he's presenting in front of a huge audience. Uh, What's that, Mr. President? You want me to move this way? <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> Are you able to explain that lapse of judgment as an American in a, in a way that better than we can, uh, Rick? Uh, I wish I could, but I definitely can't. <laughs> Do you think this is a quintessential American film? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it delves very well into the idea of trying to live amongst you know people that are just unhinged like there are a lot of personal liberties that our laws afford us and there are a lot of inherent risk that comes along with that and it's a good way to show that you know people can be pushed to the breaking point there's a lot of movies that explore that and this one is just another example of it it also plays that sort of revenge fantasy or the being the guy that goes against all like odds, goes against everyone sort of telling you to calm down and just Yeah, doing- being given being given permission to go the violent route. Yeah. Here's a quote from the comedy film nerds. <laughs> These gun toting heroes are the offensive linemen of society. Nobody buys their jersey. People just yell at them when they're offside. But without them, everything will collapse. When I was an offensive guard, I did whatever I could to block the other guy. Let that sink in. (laughs) (laughs) Who wrote this? Was that written by O.J. Simpson? (laughs) The comedy film nerds. Ah. What do you think of the, uh, of the, the actual sight of this, of the end, uh, Trav, this quarry? Yeah, would you have preferred the airport? It, like, I would play a lot of computer games, so every time I see anything American, I'm like, oh, it reminds me of something in Grand Theft Auto. So, I think there is actually a, a level that in, in the last Grand Theft Auto that I think you it's based kidnap- on this. You can't kidnap kids in any video games, can you? They you can steal the boss for people on it. So, you could probably reenact. I mean, I'm sure someone's reenacted this. Um, but I'm pretty sure there is actually a level where you go to, like, a lumber mill and you're chasing someone. Yeah, I vaguely recall that in one of them as well. And then maybe it was in um, the the Russian, where you play that Russian dude. Yeah. Uh, Nico. So, you know, I've had my own virtual Harry experience. So I pretty <laughs> much can say that I've uh, lived this. Once again, um, San Francisco is a great city for, you know, ups and downs, like hills and looking down vantage points of snipers. And here you've got Harry shooting up and... Um, <laughs> shooting up literally <laughs> <laughs> Harry is horse isn't it for heroin another, yeah, another word according um, to the Beatles yeah <laughs> I much prefer the wood the wood in the uh, mayor's office than this sort of rustic wild west scaffolding wood of the trestle and the uh, the quarry Rick you were saying before that dirty Harry your take on the meaning I mean he's dirty Harry because he does every dirty job that comes along is that your preferred reading of the meaning rather than him being a peeping it is. Tom? <laughs> um, of the many different explanations of why they call him Dirty Harry that they gave in this movie, the Dirty Jobs one is my favorite. Yeah. I mean, there, it's a dirty job, but someone has to do it is the usual saying. Ah. They don't usually point out to Harry specifically. Well, I think they should because, as we said, it's pretty um, culturally... Uh, in the in the psyche of, of so I think they should just just give it to Harry. Usually these days we just say, oh, if it's a dirty job, then Mike Rowe, the host of the show Dirty Jobs, has to do it. I think that whole sentiment sentiment is best put to music in Police Academy Two, where Mahoney's <laughs> on his quad bike on the beach and dirty work, but well, someone's got to do it. Dirty work. Comedy is a bit different in Australia, uh, Rick. <laughs> 
As a comedian, though, I can say that the the pauses is actually an Australian applause. So <laughs> we live for that. We live for just saying a joke that we worked really hard on, and then just having silence because it just we just eat it up. Listeners have noticed the last few episodes have been very quote very quote heavy because there's a lot of quotes I had that I when we're doing prep for this podcast many months ago that I scribbled down and they're just too good to use, but now I'm just crowbarring them in. But since we were, we were talking about dirty jobs, um, Cobra <laughs> Cobra has this tagline. It goes, Cobra is a specialist. The cop who does those impossible jobs nobody else wants or dares to do. His single-minded purpose and unorthodox methods have created extreme paranoia even with his own department. So your friends at Canon were uh, rating, ripping off ideas left and right, left and centre. Oh yeah, yeah. And that movie we spoke, Rick has Rennie Santoni plays Chico and uh, and Andy Robinson in a good guy role. Have you ever seen Cobra? I have not. You're not missing a lot. I say I'm more of a Schwarzenegger guy when it comes to '80s action movies. Yeah. The start of Cobra is really good. That shopping in the, uh, the supermarket the supermarket scene. And I think I used to get bored afterwards, I think. Because yeah. it has a similar kind of guy as, as Scorpio here. It has this, like, real nervous... It's kind of like that as, as Zed in Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even shop here! <laughs> I'm a vegetarian! Like, it's, it's pretty simple. I'm a vegetarian! I can't even do it. <laughs> it's so fun seeing Andy Robinson, though, as a, like, a spineless cop. Like, he's shouting it, you know... We'll give you money, you know, like, we're not going to hurt you. We're here to help you. Doing, like, the carbon opposite of um, everyone in this movie. <laughs> that question about why, uh, you know, he didn't just shoot him there and then. Shoot the bastard. That's my policy. When I first saw this film as a kid, I was enjoying it so much that it was one of those moments in film where you're enjoying it and anything illogical that pops up, you just say, fuck it. I'm not going to ask myself this question. I'm not going to let this... Little thing ruin it for me. I'll wait 20 years and then I'll talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I suppressed it. <laughs> thanks thanks for bringing it up, John. <laughs> you think the internet today is what ruins movies, though? With, yeah. like, the nitpicking is what's made people so whingy about films? Like, yeah. we can't just accept a film. Like, especially with the Star Wars, how, how overly, yeah, everything's pulled apart i mean i know i'm on a podcast right now <laughs> where you're pulling things apart by minute but do you think that affects like we look at these films so much more differently now we can't just be entertained i agree um we can't just accept it at face value for the entertainment you know in some cases that's meant to be i think that's why when you're doing something like this looking at something one minute at a time you've got to come come at it from an angle of i appreciate and enjoy this thing yeah not i'm going to tear this thing apart bit by bit mm-hmm. absolutely it's yeah it's so funny that i mean in the first mad max for example there were a lot of things there first couple of times i saw it that were inconsistent and despite being australian i'm partly deaf and when I first got it on DVD, I put the subtitles on. Mm. And the film that I'd seen probably over 30, 40 times, I loved it so much, suddenly was like watching something else because I could understand some of the dialogue. And you're a fair dinkum Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> Stroof. Convict stock, mate. Yeah. Um, well, Rick, that, I mean, I'm not, I have a bit more hearing than you, Trent, but um, I was always convinced Scorpio was saying, I'll kill all you motherfuckers instead of I'll kill all of your mothers. So I, I always thought he was oh, really? I thought I'll kill all you motherfuckers rather than all of your mothers. So, really? Yeah. Because I always heard mother, and it wouldn't have entered my head, motherfuckers. For maybe that was the edited. Because there's versions of Scarface for TV where that bit where it's like, "How'd you get that scar eating pussy?" And when they used to show it on TV, it said, "How'd you get that scar eating pineapple?" Like, <laughs> it was like, "Hey, how am I supposed to get?" <laughs> I've only seen the pineapple one. I think. It was on the I on the if you got the Scarface DVD, there's a documentary about the censorship, and it shows those scenes that they cut. And it's like, hey, how am I supposed to get a scar like this by eating pineapple? Like, <laughs> it's, it's so random. Is that the same edit where he talks about how the whole town is one giant chicken waiting to mm. get plucked? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> wow. Well, Rick, when you first saw 
Mad Max on DVD, I suppose, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Did you have any similar revelations where a piece of Australian dialogue or, um, you know, colloquialism, you're finally like, oh. To jump in really quickly before you answer, Rick, I'm guessing you would have grown up with the American uh, accented version. Actually, I spent a lot of time watching the latter Mad Max movies because those were the ones that they would often show on television as opposed to that first one. The uh, the first movie, by the time I watched it, it was with the original Australian dub. Like, there's no in- no American voices. I haven't watched that one at all, just on principle. Did they do that for all Australian films because they don't like our accent? From Which is fair enough. So they dub over it. I think there's only been a couple. That The Castle? Um, no. Crocodile Dundee? Pa- the original Patrick. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? And Mad Max. Can you think of any others, Rick? None that come to mind. In a way, they sort of, they sort of dubbed. Um, I pronounce you Chuck and Larry, which was originally Strange Bedfellows, a different <laughs> film with Paul Hogan that they ripped off. Um, but Rick, were there any Mad, <laughs> were there any Mad Max um, colloquialisms, and or you finally got to even phonetically? Oh, that's what he's saying. I never knew that the phrase "struth" was a thing <laughs> before I took a look. At Mad Max. Struth. That's just not something we say over here. Struth! <laughs> well, see, when you're watching that first scene where the Knight Rider speeds by and um, Bisley, Steve Bisley is in the diner, and they're like, Struth, he's at it again. I never knew what they were saying. Like, it, it, was, it just slipped by so quickly, and then I was like, oh, Struth, okay, and then I understood what it was. <laughs> We just don't we just don't throw that out. It's not something that we even have a replacement for that I can think of. Crocky. We do that a lot here in Australia. We're like we we just sort of make our own like we just take words that don't really mean anything and then we just chuck them out at people. Like <laughs> like someone's like, Why don't you go shag a spider or you bloody pelican? Like these weird insults that it sounds like a one off thing, but somehow just begins in circulation. <laughs> Someone's like, oh, a bloody pelican. I'm going to use that. Like, <laughs> There are so many Australian-specific slang words that just boggle my mind. Drongo, bogan. Like, uh, like, here we go. I got a list of 125 of them. Number <laughs> 39 is one that we hear a lot in Mad Max Fury Road, but dag, one of the characters. And we're like, well, what the heck is a dag? <laughs> you dag. There used to be an anti-smoking commercial, and the slogan was, only dag smoke fags. Which <laughs> <laughs> I found that really confusing. Oh my god. <laughs> it used to be a real feminine voice to be like, only dag smoke fags. And it was like, this is brought oh to you by the god. Australian Federal Anti-Smoking Campaign. <laughs> to be honest, you probably hear the, the adjective more, daggy, it, rather than actual a person being a dag. You, you know the meaning of that, of course. Urban Dictionary has probably served you well. The the piece of poo in the, the fleece of the sheep near his bum hole sort of sticks out, so That's my favorite one. Yeah. That's my favorite one to talk about. And then one of our listeners in particular always like to say, no, it's someone who's a nerd. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. We call them dingleberries, but that's what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I suppose, yeah, it's, someone sticks out because they're... They are nerdy, or they stick out because they're they're not popular, or they're wearing old, fa- you know what I mean? Some sort of pathetic, not pathetic in a laughable sense, but they stick out because they're wearing or behaving in a way that's very lame-o. Yeah, well, you'd find it, it's sort of an older people will say it, like people, my mum, like people in their 70s, or, oh, you dag, yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading... I've been reading the novelization of the first movie as part of uh, Patreon content related to the Mad Max Minute there. And one word that keeps popping up that Terry Kay likes to throw in there all the time is larrikin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we love that word. He, he slips that one in every couple of chapters to talk about the bikies in that movie. It's a, it's a term that we normally use for sports athletes. Like, if there's some sort of rape charges against, like, football players... <laughs> People go, oh, these bloody larrikins just having a laugh, aren't they? And you're like, I think they raped someone. And they're like, ah, they're just being larrikins, mate. The way the English sort of use the word lad, like, oh, it's just laddish behaviour. But you probably, I haven't seen Mad Max in a while, but I remember the word, because I'm not, I'm not a rev head or a car kind of guy, but I remember they used the word donk a lot. 
I think they say oh. fanging oh, as yeah. well. Fang it. Yeah. Yeah, that one's popped up several places. The, the first one has some really weird dialogue that is so Australian to the extreme that most Australians will kind of go, what? <laughs> well, it was a different decade. Yeah. I, I grew up, um, well, for the first 10 years of my life, near where they shot a lot of the first film. And um, Byron Kennedy uh, played football with my mum's first husband. Yeah. And so for the last 25 years... I've been grilling her. What, what do you remember about him? What do you remember about him? Oh, well, Byron would come to the house occasionally for, you know, we'd have uh, club dinners and things like that. Yeah, what, what, what was he like? What did he eat? Did he poo often? What? No, no but... Um, oh, look, yeah, Byron would be around, but, uh, you know, in the later years, he, you know, he'd go off and do his film stuff and um, just tell me more. And, she, you know, the memory under pressure just sort of cracks and she doesn't remember anything. But, um, yeah, so I sort of... That area of town uh, is sort of a rev head area. I'm not a rev head at all. It, it's basically, you go there now, it's still like 1982. It hasn't sort of um, aged <laughs> very well. Well, that's pretty much all I've got for this this minute. Uh, Rick, any thanks so much for joining us. Um, it was great. Do you have any, any last observations about this minute? I just find it interesting that... Uh Harry, who has been presenting as this uh, stone-faced bedrock justice guy, ends the movie in a place that takes large, hard stones and breaks them down (laughs) into tiny pieces that are barely recognizable. And it's here in this setting that he is going from the hard-bitten lawman to, you know, the metaphorical gravel of a guy throwing away his badge. (laughs) That's beautifully summed up. Well, many thanks for joining us, Rick. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it's it's a bit of re- reciprocity to have someone who is um, someone who reviews a totemically Australian film yourself, and uh, us doing the reverse, getting to speak to an American who can give us some insights into to a quintessentially American film. Yeah, it's a good time. Well, thanks for joining us, um, repeat guest Travis Nash. Yeah, anytime. You still a Dirty Harry fan after coming oh, back? Oh, I'll never stop watching this. <laughs> just on loop in my house all the time. <laughs> and night and day just keeps playing. Scaring the neighbours below. Yeah. Trent, as usual, thanks. We haven't had you for a few Thank weeks. Thank you. Yes, yes. It's good to be back. Cool. And uh, our other co-host, Tim, is still on Daddy Daycare Minute with his newly born... Well, um, thanks for joining us, Rick, Trav, Na- uh, Trent. We'll catch you next time on Dirty Minute. I talk to the trees, but they don't listen to me. I talk to the stars, but they never hear me. The breeze hasn't time. To stop and hear what I say I talk to them all in vain But suddenly my words reach someone else's ear Touch someone else's heartstrings too